First John, the fourth chapter. The word of the Lord. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world." There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. A beautiful chapter. We're starting on chapter 4 as we go through uh, this epistle of 1 John. Beginning with verse 1, Dearly beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. For a long time, I thought that referred to spirits as in evil spirits and and things like that. And that is, that is, uh, that's not actually accurate. That is not precise, 
precisely accurate. I think the Geneva Bible does it quite well. Uh, the comment on that is uh, the Geneva Bible of 1599 and a few editions later. The comment is he speaks simply when he says the spirit, believe not every spirit. He speaks, John speaks simply of the doctrine, not of actual spirits. Okay? So he's saying believe not every doctrine, but try doctrines. Is it as if, and the, uh, the comment goes on, it is as if he had said believe not everyone that says that he has a gift of the Holy Ghost to do the office of a prophet. Office of a prophet. Uh, try the spirits, their comment is, them which boast that they have the spirit to preach or prophesy. Okay, so that cleared up a lot of confusion on my part for that, because how do you test devils? You know, well, that's not what it's saying. Uh, and in verse 2, I'll go on with their comment. I don't know how far we'll get in our sermon this morning, but verse 2, hereby know ye the spirit of God, I'll read from the Geneva Bible. Hereby shall ye know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus uh, is the Christ, uh, excuse me, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Again, the Geneva Bible commentary on this. He giveth a certain and perpetual rule to know the doctrine of Antichrist by to wit, if either the divine or human nature of Christ or the true uniting of them together be denied, or if the least jot that may be, be derogate from his office, who is our only king, prophet, and everlasting high priest. Therefore, that's the doctrine of Antichrist. And we'll go into this, Lord willing, in the sermon in a few moments. Uh, again, every spirit, they say, he speaks simply of the doctrine and not that of the person. So in verse 1, the word try, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, can be also translated as test, test the spirits, or test the people that claim to have the spirit of God, the spirit of prophesying. Uh, test, uh, one of the definitions I thought was pretty good from a Greek-English lexicon based on semantic domains by Lou and Nida, says test means to try to learn the genuineness of something by close examination to try to learn the genuineness of something by close examination. So even if you're not in school anymore, you are faced with tests every day. And those of you that are in school, taking classes, face tests every once in a while. But if you call your bank or your credit card company or go online, they're not going to give you information about your account until you pass their test to see if you're actually you and not an identity thief. Their test might be your username and password, or they might ask you for the last four digits of your social security number or your mother's maiden name or where you were born or some security questions that you've set up with them. So those are tests. But, of course, the Apostle John is addressing something infinitely more important than bank accounts. He is speaking of accounts, but it's the account you'll have to make before God as to why you believed what you did in this life and whether or not you tested what you heard against the Bible. John is telling us to test any spiritual experience, any religious leader, any religious group, to see if it agrees with the Bible. That's his point. In Jude chapter 4,
book of Jude chapter 4, which is the last book of the Bible before Revelation, and we'd say, uh, I say chapter 4, verse 4, because there's only one chapter. In Jude verse 4, it tells us how these false prophets try to operate. Verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men which turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. It says they creep in. They sneak in. They deceive Christians and they subtly, subtly rather, sow false teachings that eventually draw you away from God and you end up in unbelief. And that's happened so often to people who listen to false doctrines. They eventually lead to, they don't, you know, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't believe God anymore. I don't believe the Bible anymore. That's where a lot of these people end up. Satan and those who serve him can deceive, of course. That's what they do. That's their jobs. That's, what they, that's all they are, liars. Satan is the father of liars, Jesus said. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 and 15, and it's worth it if you would look at that up, please, because rather than just me reading it to you, I'd like you to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. should be familiar to you. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Satan is or can, can transform himself into an angel of light. So it's no great thing if Satan's ministers pretend to look like angels of light as well. See, every one of the New Testament writers warned the church about false teachings. Isn't that interesting? Every one of the New Testament authors of the New Testament warned the church about false teachings. Paul warned the church at Ephesus about this very event in Acts chapter 20. He wrote, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, he's talking to the church at Ephesus, not sparing the flock, Moreover, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw disciples after them. Jesus said in Matthew 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders so that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. We can take comfort in those four words, if it were possible. They shall deceive the very elect. So if you see someone who claims to be a Christian and they're caught up in some obviously false teaching, not just some little disagreement about whether we should sprinkle or immerse or things like that, but I mean a false teaching particularly about the nature of Christ, you know by the definition they're deceived and it says, Jesus said it's not possible to deceive the elect. But how do you determine whether a spiritual experience, a religious leader or some group is really 
giving the biblical message. Because we know Satan can, 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 change, can be an angel of light. It's going to be very difficult to figure out, well, is this person or this group really carrying the message of the Bible when they use words that sound very good? Some people go by how that person makes them feel or how that group makes them feel. If they feel closer to God, it must be from God, right? That's how some people view it. Others go by how credible the person sounds. They sound really honest. And yeah, it sounds like they know what they're talking about. They're so smart. I mean, they know the Bible really well. They keep quoting verses. Well, you know, this isn't part of the sermon, but it just occurred to me. Other than Jesus Christ, who in the Bible Bible knows the Bible the best? Satan. Satan. So when you hear somebody who knows the Bible backwards and forwards, it doesn't mean they're necessarily not one of Satan's ministers. It doesn't mean they are, but it doesn't mean necessarily that they aren't. Some people go by how a person looks, believe it or not. Their personality. That's why we don't have too many people here. <laughs> I mean, there's, uh, there are people on TV I mean, there's, there's, who are very good-looking guys, right? And some people think, well, that's, you know, why not go to a church where the women will say, well, I can go look at a good-looking guy, too, and, and get the message. Maybe they do and maybe they don't. Some hear the name Jesus or a few Bible verses and they think that makes that person a faithful Christian when they, the person speaking that. Yet there are a lot of false belief systems that will make you feel good, that look good, that use the name Jesus. You can think of many, I'm sure. Remember David Koresh and the Branch Davidians? Uh, they talked about Jesus and quoted Bible verses, but we know they weren't. A, uh, they certainly did not understand Scripture. The Mormons do the same thing. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do it. Theological liberals do it. Use terms like Jesus and redemption and and the resurrection, but they're not they're not defining it like the Bible defines those words. An extreme example is Jim Jones. Remember, the older people remember Jim Jones and the, uh, uh, his group that uh, was in a uh, church, so-called, in, in San Francisco, and they all went down to the British Guiana uh, and had their own little cult down, not a big cult. And he told them to, one day he told them all to drink poison. And what was it? Over... Well, it was poison, Kool-Aid, and they, mothers actually gave it to their little children knowing they, they would kill their children. And there were over, I don't remember the number, over a thousand people, I believe it was, uh, died. The biggest mass suicide that we know of, in, in, at least in modern times. Uh, a friend of mine uh, got a call one in the middle of the night. He was, he was a Washington Post uh, photographer, and Frank Johnston, and he got a call in the middle of the night, and he told me that... Uh, uh, and they said, there's something going on in British Guiana, and we don't know what it is, 
uh, but we've heard a congressman was down there and there's been some trouble, so they chartered a plane for him and he got up in the middle of the night and got on this chartered plane and went down there and he said it was, some, it was daylight by the time he said we got down there and he said we flew over it and he said it looked like you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, some kind of rally. And he couldn't tell what it was and he said when we landed and got out we realized that they were dead bodies. And uh, he said I'll never forget it. And he was one of the first on the scene. Uh, so that was Jim Jones. But Jim Jones was ordained by the Assemblies of God as a minister. In fact, you can look up on the Internet and see his ordination certificate. It's been posted, just in, in, in case people doubt that. And he quoted the Bible frequently. He talked about Jesus, yet he led hundreds of people into a mass suicide. Moonies, some young moon followers, they quote the Bible, they talk about Jesus, yet... When they talk about Jesus, you know what they mean? They're talking, the Jesus they believe in failed in his attempt to be our Savior and that their leader, the Reverend Sun, the Reverend, quote, Sun Myung Moon, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what they believe. But you listen to them talk about Christ. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus too. Well, they don't believe in the Jesus that you believe in. Uh, Mormons, they claim that they believe in Jesus, but then you find out, who is Jesus? Well, they believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Uh, I mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created by God, and they deny the Trinity. Speaking of the Mormons, I, you know, I really... It's just odd to me that people could follow a religion invented by Joe Smith in New York. <laughs> just, you know, I, I couldn't sell that religion. You know, I don't know how they do it, but that's pretty cool. You know, Joe Smith from New York invented this religion. The uh, famous editor of the uh, Emporia, Kansas Gazette, William Allen White, used to receive lots of articles from aspiring writers because he... Uh, was a famous writer himself, but he returned most of them to, to their authors with rejection slips. One uh, disappointed and bitter person wrote to White and said, Sir, you sent back a story of mine. I know that you do not read it because as a test I pasted together pages 19 and 20. The manuscript came back with those pages still stuck together, so I know that you're a fraud and that you turned down articles without even reading them. And White sent this reply back. Dear Madam, at breakfast when I taste an egg, I don't have to eat it all to determine if it's bad. <laughs> so that's also true whether, in when you decide whether a teacher or a doctrine is good or bad. You don't have to swallow it all. You know, a lot of people say, well, how can you know which faith is true? Which, which religion, which book is true? There's so many different beliefs in the world. How do you know which one is true? We don't have to examine every belief of every religious group, every doctrine, to see if it's false or true. If it, there's a simple way to do it, if it contradicts the Bible at any point, it's false. If it denies the deity of Christ, if it denies the humanity of Christ... His 
virgin birth, his, his perfect life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, or his personal return. It's a bad egg. It should be rejected. You don't have to eat it all. What a group or a person believes about Jesus Christ is critical. They can, you know, we all talk to Christians long enough. Brothers, faithful brothers and sisters of Christ, we're going to have some disagreements about some areas of the Bible that aren't real clear. and that are, They're open to interpretation. There are some areas like that. But the person, the nature of Christ and what he did is not open to interpretation. So what a person believes about Christ is critical. I'd like to give you four tests you can use to recognize false teachers. One is the speech test. Speech test. Did you ever hear of bait and switch? You know that term, bait and switch? What that means is some unscrupulous stores will advertise a product at a ridiculously low price. I mean, you read it and say, oh, I can't believe it's so cheap. So that's the bait. They, real, they hang the bait out there, and you run to the store to buy that product because it's so cheap and it's something you want. That's the bait. Well, when you get to the store, you're told, well, that's sold out. Sorry, not available anymore. But you really wouldn't want that. There's a much better product that does everything that product does and a whole lot more. And it's, you ought to buy that. And so the salesperson tries to steer you into spending more money than you plan to spend and buying something you never plan to buy. That's the switch, of course. So the whole purpose is to get you into the store so the salesman can work on you. And so, you know, get you to cave in and buy that more expensive product that you probably didn't even want in the first place. The bait and switch. And often the advertised product, they never even had that. He told you it's sold out. They may never have had that or it was never sold at that price. So in a similar way, a false teacher uses bait and switch. He'll use words like Jesus Christ, the cross, salvation, the resurrection, and those kind of words, to bait listeners. Then the switch comes when what you thought you'd get, which was genuine biblical teaching, well, they're out of stock on that. It turns out to be false doctrine, contrary to the Bible, and leads you away from God. So don't be mistaken. Often a false teacher sounds wonderful because he'll mix the truths of the Bible but then he'll twist it, shade his deceptions. It's exactly how Satan talks in the Bible. As we know from virtually every time we read his words in the Bible, he mixes, when he's talking with people, he mixes truth with error. I mean, when he was in the form of a serpent and talked to Eve, he said, oh, did God really say that? And he twisted around what God had said. He did the same to, to Job, and of course he tried the same with the Lord Jesus Christ in quoting the Bible to tempt him. Of course, Jesus shut him down immediately. 
so because a false teacher might sound good doesn't mean anything. Okay? Because they sound good doesn't mean anything. Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light, as we just read in 2 Corinthians. So that's the speech test. What do their words really mean? What do they mean by these words that they use? When they say, Jesus Christ, is it the Jesus Christ of the Bible? We have a subscriber to our newsletter. His name is Paul Newman. And he said, people are always asking me, are you the real Paul Newman? Of course, this is before Paul Newman died. He said, are you really the real Paul Newman? And he'd say, yeah, I'm the real Paul Newman. Because <laughs> he is the real Paul Newman. He's not the Paul Newman of movie star that they thought he meant, that they thought he was. But he's a real Paul Newman. So when somebody says, talks about Jesus Christ, is that the real Jesus Christ? Is that the one you think it is? Or does he mean somebody different? The speech test. Number two is the popularity test. And it's very simple. Just because a preacher or a teacher has a huge following, that does not mean what they say is biblical. It's more likely, frankly, that he's saying what people want to hear. But they're doing, doing it in, quote, worship service, which makes people feel good about it, that they're going to church. They didn't have to hear about doctrine. They didn't have to hear about sin or hell. They got to go to church and feel good about themselves. And so thousands of people do that. They heard how God loves everybody. And that Jesus preached, in Robert Schuller's term, the be happy attitudes. <laughs> so, you know, as long as you do your best, God will do the rest. Those are the kind of messages people like, and they fill up stadiums and have, quote, church services. The Apostle Paul, writing as the Holy Spirit directed him, advised young Timothy in Second Timothy 4, I charge thee therefore before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, which shall judge the quick and dead, at that his appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, improve, rebuke. Last time you heard a TV preacher rebuking. Rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not suffer wholesome doctrine, but having their ears itching shall after their own lusts get them a heap of teachers and shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be given unto fables. Paul was telling young Timothy about the popularity test and not to fall for it. In 1960, there was one mega church for every 7.5 million Americans. In 2010, there is one mega church for every 200,000 Americans. So you see how the megachurch movement has grown. So you have to ask yourself when you hear some of these people, are they great preachers or are they just great speakers? There's a big difference between a speech and a sermon. Number three, there's the money test. How often and how strongly does the preacher ask for money? Or if it's a TV program, how often is it interrupted by appeals for money? 
And what do you know about how the money is used? Is there an independent audit of their books? Is that audit public? And how does the preacher and those around him, how do they live? How do they spend money? Do they, does the preacher have a private jet? Does he wear $3,000 designer suits? And you can tell on TV quite often if you know men's suits, what the quality is. Does, and I'll say it, does John Hagee, for example, have to live in a mansion in the Dominion, the most expensive neighborhood in San Antonio, behind gates and a guardhouse and hobnob with celebrities as his next-door neighbors? If you're a member of that church and you want to go see your pastor, good luck getting past the guards. Or... Finally, number four is the lifestyle test, what I call the lifestyle test. That's a little different than, than uh, before I'm talking about how they spend their money. Now I'm talking about what do they do when they're not in front of their followers. The real test of a person is what they do when they think nobody's watching. Of course, some people, some of these guys get careless and leave witnesses. There's a, I have a DVD of a videotape of Benny Hinn smoking dope. Is that, where, is that the right thing for him to be doing? Uh, and, you know, we could list the names of famous evangelists who we find out have been leading double lives. I mean, we're, uh, we've got the most recent one here in San Antonio, Doug Phillips and Vision Forum. And uh, there's, you know, like Jimmy Swaggart, you, you know, you can get a whole list of them. Ted Haggard. Just because somebody mouths Christian terms, don't take the bait. You might get switched. Know your Bible. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. Discernment. Discernment means you can tell whether or not, because you know the Bible, you can tell whether or not this speaker is really being true to the Bible. That's discernment. You can choose. You, you know what's right and wrong. Discernment is knowing what's right and wrong. So then you won't get hooked by false teachers who use their doctrinal bait-and-switch tactics to deceive you. So we have to check to see if their words match what God says in the Bible. And the most important, John says, is what they believe about Christ. Verse 2, Hereby shall ye know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. But this is the spirit of Antichrist, of whom ye have heard that, that he should come, and now already he's in the world. So God's Spirit, and Lord willing, we'll take up those two verses next week, God's Spirit will always honor and magnify God's Son. That's what those verses are saying. It's a little preview of what we'll talk about next week, Lord willing. Every spiritual experience, every religious leader, and every religious group that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's what the verse says. And what does it mean that, Christ, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Well, you're going to have to think about that this week. Uh, and... As I said, if the Lord wills it, we will. That will be what we part of what we will talk about next week. 
But this morning, remember I said discernment? This morning I want, I'm urging you to make it your business this week to beg the Lord for more discernment. We especially need discernment to recognize the false teachers in this world. For 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeing whom he may devour. False teachers are Satan's tools to devour your faith. can't urge you strongly enough to plead, beg the Lord to give you discernment and more of it. Make that your daily prayer. And let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we do pray for discernment. It's especially... Uh, we need to be anchored in the Word of God. So discernment is not in a vacuum. It's, it is applying what we know when we know the Word of God, applying that to what we hear and uh, judging righteous judgment. The Lord Jesus Christ said, judge righteous judgment. And, of course, righteous judgment is by the Scriptures. Father, we ask that of, of Thee for all of us.